Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. We have had a lot of big ideas this summer, and this is the last big idea. But for our lives, this is the biggest of the big ideas because today's big idea is salvation. And the text is John 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. A Sunday school teacher, children's Sunday school teacher, asked his class, if I sold my house and my car and had a big garage sale and gave all the money to the church, would that get me to heaven? No, his children answered. He went on, if I cleaned the church every day and mowed the yard and kept everything neat and tidy, Would that get me to heaven? And the children's class yelled out, No, that's not how you get to heaven. Again, the teacher said, Well, what if I was kind to animals and gave candy to all children and loved my wife? Would that get me to heaven? And again, they said, No. He asked desperately, Well, then how can I get to heaven? The little six-year-old boy said, You've got to die first. You know, one of the obstacles to biblical truth is that we are not simple-minded enough to receive it. We make things more complicated than they ought to be. And this morning, as we look at the big idea of salvation, I'm going to ask you to just kind of take away some things. Take away what you know, what you think you know, what you've always thought and so on. I'm just going to ask you to, removing those preconceived notions, think like a child about salvation. Think like a child about how to get to heaven. What do we need or want to know in order to come to a decision about heaven? I want to make today's message as simple and clear as I possibly can, even though this is a really really big idea. And here's what's going to happen. At the close of the message, I will give you an opportunity to answer these questions for yourself. I will give you an opportunity in privacy, an opportunity right where you sit to invite Jesus Christ into your heart, to be your personal Savior and Lord, and to know for sure that you're on your way to heaven at the end of this life. And you remember that connection card that I mentioned earlier? When you make that decision today, I'm going to ask you to not only to have your name on the front of it, but on the back of it to write that you prayed to receive that prayer, prayed to receive Jesus Christ. We'll give an invitation if you want to come forward, but I want everybody to know after we answer these six questions, there's going to be the opportunity to pray to answer these questions in your own life. It'll be a very personal moment, and I hope powerful. First of all, the first question, how long will I live? 
I think all of us ask, ask that question at some point. <clears throat> How long will I live? live? There was a man named Job, and Job had this to say about the way that we live and how it happens. Job 14, 1. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. <laughs> now that's not a referendum on women. That's a truth about people. Those of us who are born of woman and all of us who are born were born to a woman. It's the way that it works. Remember God made Adam and Eve not Adam and Steve. <clears throat> life is short. And there's enough trouble in everyone's life to cause any of us to agree that life isn't problem-free. Now the question then <clears throat> is how short is life? How short is my life going to be? If life is short, not how long will I live, but how short will my life be? Well, James answers that in James 4.14. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We're just a mist. Last Sunday, our big idea was about the Holy Trinity. And we emphasized <clears throat> that God is from everlasting to everlasting. And now we discover that even the longest life that we would live is just a mist compared to everlasting to everlasting. Even those who live to be in their 90s and some who live <clears throat> beyond. Nick of Nick's Toggery. Nick died this week. And Nick, I think, was, he was either 91 or 93. <clears throat> Nick lived a very, very long life. Yet, on the eternal scale, just a, a mist. The answer to how long we live on this earth is simple. We simply do not know. We could die at any time. <clears throat> Anybody could. I mentioned this in our Wednesday night Bible study because I had planned to talk about it today. Before I became the pastor of this church, and I've, I've been here for 22 and a half years, Jan and I actually founded a church in Nashville, Tennessee. That's a picture of the church today. It's Metro Baptist Church. Metro Baptist Church is in on the north side of Nashville in the little town called Goodlettsville, Tennessee. That's where I went to high school was in <clears throat> Goodlettsville. And we were there for, we founded that church in 1976 and we were there for 15 and a half years. And in 15 and a half years, <clears throat> we never had one church member to die. In 15 and a half years. It's a tremendous draw for our church. <clears throat> I'm here to tell you that I never conducted a funeral service inside of our church building during 15 and a half years of being the pastor there. There were some other funerals that I did for other folks outside of the church or at other places, but never a church member for 15 and a half years. And so I kind of got used to people not dying. And <clears throat> I came here. And I'd been here hardly any time when the first funeral came of a church member, <clears throat> and then another, and another. And it wasn't long before we lost a high school senior, a beautiful young lady named Chrissy Sauls, or Christy Sauls. 
who died in an automobile accident. She's buried over here, the cemetery on Piedmont. It wasn't any time until we lost her, and there were other funerals for other people, and it seemed like death had no respect for age. There were those that were dying who were very old and those who were very young and some who didn't even have a chance to live past being a baby. And that was the experience that I had throughout all of that time. Now the question is this, how long will you live? I mean, if you're going to consider what's going to happen in eternity, there has to be a thought process. There has to be the question of how long will I live? It's a valid question, but the answer is it's not predictable. We just live life the best that we can and try to make a positive difference to those around us knowing that it could end at any time. Now that being said, all of us have a certain amount of trouble in living and we have difficulty in our living and even though we may try to live a good life, some of us In fact, all of us make huge mistakes in our lives. Have you ever realized that though you might try to do all the time the right thing, that sometimes you crop up and do the wrong thing? Have you ever noticed how that it's easier to let something get after you and really dominate your life than it is to let something go? Have you ever noticed how it's easier to hold a grudge than to forgive? And I could go on and on. Here's the, the second question, and the reason I, I, I say those things is because of the second question. Not only do we need to know how long we'll live, but how do I, why do I live the way that I do? Why do I have this turn in my life toward overreacting? Why do I have this turn in my life toward doing the wrong thing? Why do I have this turn in my life towards holding grudges? Why do I have this in my life? Why is, it, why is it so hard for me just to keep on doing the right thing? I'm going to tell you, there's a reason for that. And it's not unique to you. All of us have the same problem. All of us do. Paul addressed it as he wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 15. He said, uh, chapter 7 of verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Can you get an amen on that? It's just the way that we are. Skipping on down to verse 18 in the same chapter, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul just described all of our dilemma, didn't he? He just described why we have so much trouble. He just described why we're so up and down in this life and why we deal with so many issues and why we get embarrassed and why we get ourselves in a fix and so on and so on and so on. He just described all of that. 
I'm guessing that a lot of people, a lot of us feel like Paul, what Paul describes. But why is it like that in our lives? Why is that the way that we are? Well, it's very simple. The first reason is because something that we all have in common. For all have sinned and come short and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. Everybody in here. Pastor Ray, you're Pastor Ray. Surely you're not a sinner. Oh, yes. I am a sinner who has been saved by grace, and God, despite my sin, called me to preach, and despite my sin, allows me to preach, and despite myself, occasionally, he will use what I have to say in your life. But it's not because of my perfection. None of us are perfect. The Bible says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. We are born in sin. I have shown you pictures of my new little granddaughter, Emerson. I have three grandchildren, Bradford, Harper, and Emerson. And I just adore those three. I just adore them. But I cannot ignore that all three were born into sin. Do they live in innocence? Well, Emerson and Harper live in innocence, but Bradford is almost seven years old, and he came to an understanding of his own sin, and he came to see me in my office and and got saved because he realized that he was a sinner. A little six-year-old boy realized that he was a sinner, and there are a lot of people that grow up and live to be adults, and they won't admit that they're sinners. But the fact that life doesn't go the way that you want life to go and you make bad decisions and you do bad things and on and on it goes is just an admission of the fact that we're all born in sin. There's never a need to teach us to disobey. Look, there was never a time when your parents came to you and they said, now today we're going to learn to lie and disobey. That's right. Today, I'm going to teach you how to be stubborn and hateful. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. No, no, they didn't have to do that. You just kind of fell into it. And if you think you're bad, look at these football players over here. (laughs) Football is really a demonstration of the sin nature. All they want to do is hit somebody. That's it. So that's the second question. The first question, how long will I live and why do I live the way I do? And then here's the the third question, where will I go after I die? Now there is a difference or there can be a difference between where somebody believes that they will go and where somebody actually goes. There's a difference sometimes. For instance, there are people who simply do not believe in afterlife. They just don't believe in it they think that life is all there is and then there's nothing else now does their lack of belief in an afterlife stop their from being an afterlife no but they don't believe it but they'll discover that there will be and and let me say this it's not a large group of of people there's about 10 percent of the people feel like that there's life and then there's nothing else afterlife that's it Another 10% or so believe that they're coming back in another form or, or something along those lines, that they're going to come back. In a, so you've got about 20% of the people 
who believe that either there's nothing after you, you die or that after you die that you're going to come back in a different form. That leaves 80% of the people of this world, 80% of the people in America believe in heaven or a hell. They believe in a place of reward or a place of punishment. Now, this is interesting. About 65% of the people, of Americans, believe that when they die, they'll go to heaven. About 65% of the people do. And I think that's an interesting thing because uh, Americans are predisposed into thinking that we're going to heaven. And indeed, a lot of Americans and a lot of non-Americans are going to heaven. But, and we'll get to that in a minute, but the, the question is this. Where you go when you die will depend on some things, but first let's find out where people go. They go to one of two places. They go to heaven. If you die and you're prepared, and we're going to talk about that preparation in a minute. If you die and you're prepared, when you die, you'll go to heaven, regardless of when you die. Whether you die tomorrow, this afternoon, a year from now, 25 years from now, live to be a very, very old person. If you're prepared, as the Bible and as God says, be prepared, when you die, you go to heaven. That's the, the presence of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. This is where all people who believe in heaven and hell want to go after this life. They want to go to heaven. I've only met one person in my entire lifetime, one person who said, I want to go to hell. I only met one person. It was about 40 years ago, actually, when I first became a pastor, and I was witnessing to, some, uh, to a young man, and this young man uh, was he's very flippant and, and really kind of being casual about things, and, and maybe he was just being, you know, just razzing me a little bit. I, I don't know. But he said, hey, man, I want to go to hell because that's where all my friends are. That's what he said. I sure hope he changed his mind. I sure hope that he grew up to an understanding that that's not the choice that he really wants. Earlier this year, I brought a series of messages titled, Heaven is for Real. And we looked at the realities of heaven. Heaven is a definite place. It is a, a place that is being prepared for the saints of God. It is a real place. Now, a saint of God is somebody who dies and has found the faith needed to go to heaven. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. There are good things in heaven. There's great beauty in heaven. There's great food in heaven. Don't forget the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the banquet. There's great food. I've often said that if heaven doesn't have a kitchen, I don't want to go. I believe heaven's going to have a kitchen. And people who die and go to heaven have gone on to a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful place. I miss the people of this life who've gone to heaven that I know and, and that I've loved. I'm not sorry that they find themselves there, but I do miss them. Most of you who are members of this church know that I'm the last of nine children there were six girls and three boys in our family, and I'm the baby of the family. I have several uh, members of my family who are old enough to be my parents. But the only one of us who's passed away in all of these years was the brother who's closest to me in age, and his nickname was Butch. That was what everybody called him was, was Butch. 
And uh, recently I was in Cracker Barrel in Tennessee and I found this, this shirt there at Cracker Barrel and it had the name of the University of Tennessee's head coach on it. His name is Butch. And so I bought that shirt because of it having my brother's name on it. And uh, so now I've got that shirt. I think about my brother a lot. I miss my brother. My brother was only three years older than me in age, and I do really miss him. His birthday was just about a week ago on August the 15th. Do I miss him? Yes, I do. But I am not weeping for him being in heaven. I'm glad he's in heaven. I'm glad that that he is there with other people that I know and love, my father and my mother and and others. I, I know that that when he died because of his faith in Jesus Christ, he went to heaven. People who die in faith go to heaven. Now there's another place, and that place is hell. Now I know there's not a lot of preaching about hell today. People don't like to preach about it. It's, you know, I just wonder if hell is still relevant. Will people still die and go there? And, and let me just say this to you from, from Luke chapter 16 and 22, talking about a, a, a poor beggar man uh, named uh, Lazarus. And the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. The Bible calls hell a place of torment. I, you know, I've heard people say all my life, well, I know I'm going to heaven because I've lived, been on hell on this earth. That's just not true. I mean, it's really, really not true. I've been to some really bad places, but I have not been to any place that was described as a lake of fire. It's just not, it's just not there. And, I, and let me say this to you. I don't like hell. I don't like preaching about it. I don't like telling people about it. I don't like admitting that it's real. I just don't. But, but I've got to tell you, that it is described as a lake of fire and it is, it is too terrible to imagine, but that doesn't prevent it from being real. There are some things that are just too terrible to imagine. You watched the news this week. You saw that member of ISIS standing there with that American reporter there, and, and you know what happened. Some of you may have watched the video. I didn't. I can't. It's too terrible to imagine what those people would do to other human beings. It's just too terrible to imagine. But I will tell you this, that there is a place that is worse than that horrible scene. And as far as what you can read in the Bible, heaven and hell are the only two choices. There are no other choices. There's not another choice. So we've got to find a way to know that we're not going to hell when we die, and we will go to heaven when we die. So let's review very quickly. We don't know how long we'll live, but we do know, if you believe it, that life goes on forever somewhere. Now the somewhere forever destinations are either heaven or hell. They are real and all of us will go to one of those two places. And I'm assuming that no one here, no one wants to go to hell. There's no one wants to go to hell. You don't even want to go back outside into the heat. You surely don't want to go to hell. 
No one wants to go to hell. So then here's the question. How can I get to heaven? That's a very real question. Now, the first thing you have to do is to eliminate the wrong way to get to heaven. Too many people take the wrong path. And if you take the wrong path to a destination, you end up in the wrong place. But I was sincere. I know, but you took the wrong path, so you ended up in the wrong place. But I was really trying my best, I understand, but you got on the wrong path, so you ended up in the wrong place. But I burned so much gas getting here, I'm sure that you burned a lot of gas, and I'm sure that you spent a lot of money on that gas, but you should have taken a different road if you were wanting to get to the place you wanted to go. You ended up in a place you didn't want to go. So sincerity and and all of that, there's, I mean, those things, they don't count. There are only two places to go after this life, so choosing the wrong path is not an option. And there are two verses that, that are very clear, and they tell us the way to not go and the way to go. <clears throat> now, these are very, very clear. This is right from the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. <clears throat> and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So here's what that says. We have to eliminate works. We have to just absolutely put it off to the side because that's not the way to go to heaven. When we get to heaven, somebody would say to you, how did you get to heaven? Ho, ho, ho. I lived a wonderful life. You talk about a guy that was spot on all the time living for Jesus, that was me. You're looking at him right here, baby. Oh, I was the one. I was the man. Back during the WWJD, I I wore WWJD on my wrist. I got an I am second band on. I did all of those things. I sang praise and worship. I did all of the things that everybody does. And oh boy, that's why I'm here. Now, see, the verse said, not a result of work so that no one may boast. We cannot live a life good enough to expect to go to heaven. We can't buy our way into heaven. We can't attend church enough to go. Now, I don't want you to leave, but that's the truth. You can't go to church enough to go to heaven. We can't be baptized enough or take communion enough. There's literally no work that we can do in order to get us to heaven. That's what verse 9 said. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. You don't go to heaven by the stuff that you do. You just don't. Pastor Ray, is that real? That is absolutely real. That's what we read in our text. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now let me just pull back just a little bit. Remember, we're looking at this for the very first time. You you know nothing about it prior to today, prior to today. 
We're not in the place of saying, well, I've always thought. No, no. <clears throat> We're like the kids that said, you have to die first. <clears throat> we know absolutely, <clears throat> absolutely nothing. No preconceived ideas. And what we've learned is this, that life is a wisp. And we live stumbling over sin, <clears throat> and we, which places us in jeopardy of going to an awful place called hell. And only the love of God <clears throat> can give us an escape. Now, here's a really big question. This is huge right here. This is huge because this is the question that people who hear the message of the gospel and then refuse to be saved, this is the question that's on their mind and heart. <clears throat> Does it have to be God's way? I mean, surely there's another way. Does it have to be God's way? Absolutely, positively God's way. Well, Let's go back to knowing nothing. We know nothing. If an eternal God made a heaven for people to enjoy for an eternity <clears throat> after they come to the end of this wisp of life, here's the question. Do you think he has the right to decide who goes there? Nod your head, blink your eyes, do something. <clears throat> Does God have the right to decide who goes there? Absolutely he does. <clears throat> you have a house or an apartment. You have some place where you live. Shouldn't you be able <clears throat> to decide who comes inside of your front door? Shouldn't you be able to make the decision that, <clears throat> look, I'm going to decide who comes into my house and who eats from my refrigerator. I'm going to decide who gets to sit in my living room. <clears throat> this is my house. I'm going to decide. And if the big bad wolf is at the door, you say, I'm sorry, you're not coming in. Not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. <clears throat> you're not going to get in here. This is my house. You're not coming into my house. Now, all of us should understand that. <clears throat> all of us should understand that we're wanting to go to God's heaven. Why would we not go <clears throat> to God's heaven God's way, and how could we possibly think about getting to God's heaven through a different way? <clears throat> how could we? Now, here's what Jesus said in John 10 and verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So how do you get in? <clears throat> Jesus is the door. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the love of God has made a way for all of us <clears throat> to be assured of heaven when life is over. When life is over, we can all be assured of heaven. And <clears throat> the way that God made is sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ himself, the son of God, God incarnate, the <clears throat> to be born of a virgin and live a sinless life and die on the cross for our sins to be a sacrifice for our sins. And all that we need to do is to come to the understanding that we receive his grace by faith. <clears throat> That's it. So the final question is, how? How can I be saved? John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. 
Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, for some reason, this is where people who can be, should be, ought to be, want to be, know they have to be, for some reason, this is where all those people that ought to be saved stop. It's the strangest thing. They stop just short of the rescue. They think to themselves oftentimes, well, another time. Or they think to themselves oftentimes, what would somebody else think? Or they say to themselves, I'm already a church member. Or they say something else to themselves. And they stop short of calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. Let me illustrate that and we're finished. In the fall of 2010, Jan and I were in a a small hotel in Budapest, Hungary. And uh, we were in a small hotel. That hotel is called a a small kind of a family-run hotel in over there is called a Ponzio or Panzio. We were staying in a, a Panzio in the fall of 2010. And along with the rest of the world, we were cultiv- uh, captivated by the story of the Chilean miners who were trapped beneath 2,000 feet of solid rock. There were 33 men down there who were just absolutely desperate. And we were in that Panzio and and we only had one English-speaking channel, and it was some international news, and they were covering live the story of this rescue. So we were riveted to it. The collapse of the main tunnel had sealed their exit and thrust them into survival mode. Here's what they ate. They ate two spoonfuls of tuna, and they had a sip of milk and a little bit of a peach every other day. Not every day, but every other day. For two months, they existed underneath the earth exactly like that. Now, on the surface, above the mine, the Chilean rescue team worked around the clock. They consulted with NASA. Uh, They met with experts, and they designed a 13-foot-tall or long capsule that and, and drill. And, and first there was a communication hole that was drilled, and then an excavation <clears throat> tunnel that was drilled. And there was no guarantee of success. No one had ever been trapped for that long and succeeded or successfully lived. No one had ever gotten out. No one had ever done that. <clears throat> no one lived to tell about it. And so on October the 13th, 2010, the men began to emerge. First there was a a great-grandfather. Then there was a a 44-year-old who was planning a wedding and a 19-year-old, and and they all 33 came out, and they all had a different story, but they had all made the same decision. They trusted someone else to save them. They put their faith in someone else. No one returned the rescue offer. No one, when the capsule was sent down for them, said, No, I don't believe this is the only way. I believe that there's another way 
that I can get to where I want to go. <clears throat> if you'll just send me a little more equipment, I can dig out <clears throat> on my own. Now, they didn't do that because they had all been there staring at the reality of their death <clears throat> from a tomb that was so deep under the ground. And they were saying, we need help. We need someone to penetrate this world that has us trapped and to pull us out. So when the rescue capsule came, one by one, they climbed in. And soon they emerged wearing T-shirts. And some of you will remember that T-shirt on that miner. It said, gracias, Señor. Thank you, Lord. Now, I guess my question is this. Some who are here, some young, some not so young, it doesn't matter, life's a vapor anyway, are trapped in a set of circumstances where you say to yourself, I know that I want to go to heaven when I die, but I'm just not sure that I'm going there. How do I get to know that for certain? Well, the answer to that is, by faith, you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. It's not a word. I will not pass around an offering plate and say, buy your salvation today. I will not do that. I didn't have people standing at the front door of the church as you came in today saying, thank you for coming to church today. You're saved. There won't be anyone at the door, and if you hold the door for someone saying, my, you're a good person, you're going to heaven. There's only one thing that's been made clear today. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. The question is, will you, by faith, ask Jesus Christ to come in? You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.